G'day Sports by Fry fans. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast coming at you on Good Friday. Happy Easter to everyone out there. Big weekend of sport, big weekend of AFL and the NBA playoffs getting underway. So I thought what better time than a public holiday to sit down and record another Sports Bee episode. Plenty to get into today. I'm going to discuss a bit of stuff to do with the playing games so far. We've got the seven seeds locked in, but we still need to find out who's taken up the eighth spot. We're going to talk about Derek Carr's extension with the now Las Vegas Raiders. A little bit of stuff to do with Harry O and the Magpies and the fallout of that. And of course, it wouldn't be a Sports by Frypod if I didn't touch on fantasy stuff. So plenty to dive into. Let's get amongst it. Let's start with the top five. And the first item of business today is talking about Heretia Lamomba, the artist formerly known as Harry O'Brien, and his relationship with the Collingwood Football Club. So it's a really sad outcome this week. Harry O took to, or I shouldn't call him Harry O, let's be honest, his name is Lamomba now. He uh, took to Twitter and said that after about 18 months or so of dialogue between him and the Collingwood Football Club, he and two other former players, Leon Davis and Andrew Cracker, are now officially terminating all communications with the football club. Obviously, uh, there was a bit of stuff that came out a couple of years ago regarding Harry O's uh, subject to racism during his 10 years with the club. I think he was there from mid-2000s or the early 2000s, I should say, till about 2014. Uh, and obviously was teammates with Leon Davis and Cracker at this time. And he's been pretty vocal in the incidents of racism he experienced during his AFL time. So kudos to Lumumba for calling out these issues and calling the magpies out. And Collingwood still has kind of said, no, we're going to resolve this. We're going to make sure we get through this. We'll we'll t- keep talking to them. Eddie Maguire took to um, the airwaves and kind of released his statement about how he's going to, if he was still at the club, would get in touch with those guys. And I think Collingwood released a report Oh, it might've been about last year of something called the do better report, but let's be honest, nothing's changed. We've still seen plenty of racism in the AFL and it's pretty gross, pretty sick that still in this day and age, there's a lot of uh, popular athletes and regardless of their status as athletes, people who are being racially vilified. We saw it happen to Marby or Chol recently, the Sewer Rioli story broke last month. It was kind of talking about his uh, exit from Hawthorne and, through uh, Jeff Kennett into a bit of hot water. Liam Ryan, his kids were racially vilified during the preseason in a photo that was shared. So it's pretty sad that we still live in a world where a lot of this shit's going on. But it sounds like Lumumba is one of the players and one of the activists who has his head in the right place. So we might see something come to fruition from his like taking a stance in regards to racism. Unfortunately, I don't know if we will, as sad as it is to say, but there are plenty of instances, a couple that I've labelled that happened in the last few months regarding racism in the AFL, and it really needs to stop. It's pretty fucking sick. So I personally can't do a lot individually from my podcast, but if we as a group keep calling out incidents of racism when we see them, there's no such thing as just joking around with your mates. It's similar vein to bullying, right? It is a form of bullying, but at the highest order. So yeah, a bit, uh, a bit heavy to start the top five, but... We're with you, uh, Heritia Lumumba, and hopefully this story does have a happy solution. All right, 
Talking a bit more sport now. Item number two, I want to start with the East play-in game. So as a Cavs fan, I was a bit disheartened to see Brooklyn win because they kept Cleveland close enough to make me think that we might have pulled off a miraculous upset. But shout out to Brooklyn. They definitely have the talent to challenge Boston in the next round. And they were probably, let's be honest, the most deserving team out of that play-in group to get the seventh seed. Does pave the way for a very interesting series against Boston. And even though Brooklyn were firing, I don't want to say on all cylinders, but they were looking pretty good. We had Kevin Durant score his close to 30. Kyrie only missed about three shots. So they did look pretty good. I was pretty impressed with what I did see at times, but they didn't blow me away. Bruce Brown was probably the most impactful player. And I don't know if they're going to be able to lean on him a shitload against Boston. He had 18, nine and eight against the Cavs. So I can't see him averaging those, let alone replicating them in a single game against the Celtics. Seth Curry was probably the most alarming stat line going 0 for 4 and dropping a goose egg in his 34 minutes, but he is still banged up a bit with his wrist injury. If he's not firing, I'll be a little bit alarmed. Andre Drummond surprised me though from Brooklyn. He turned some heads. He was beasting on the boards. He was a big physical presence inside for the Nets, and he was probably a reason why they were able to hold a margin for the first couple of quarters and then let the big dogs close it out. I'll be interested to see how Cleveland responds against Atlanta, who wiped the floor with Charlotte. They won by about 20, 30 points. It wasn't really close. Trey Young didn't have the greatest shooting night, but did show that he's capable of winning in these games and competing. Put up, I think it was in the end, about 24 and 8 or 24 and 11, something along those lines. Clint Capella looked great for them as well. So they're probably going to go into Cleveland arguably as favorites. And I think, like I said with Jake, earlier in the week, I think Atlanta versus Miami is actually a better first round matchup. So as a Cavs fan, it does suck. And I would hate to see the boys get knocked out and not make the actual playoffs. But I think Atlanta deserves to be there. Originally, I picked them to win this game. I picked the East to play out exactly as it has so far. And I think ATL will advance uh, and take on Miami in the first round. To the West we go for number three. It's pretty sick scenes for the, uh, Timberwolves. I know everyone's clowning uh, Patrick Beverly for celebrating like he won the chip, including the NBA TNT guys, but credit to Minnesota. They haven't had a lot to get excited about as a franchise. They, along with the Sacramento Kings and maybe the magic, but they've had some success. You could argue that Minnesota have probably been the shit kickers in the league. They had a 14 year playoff drought back when they uh, entered the postseason in 2018. And this is probably the highest they've finished since the Kevin Garnett era. So again, credit to them. Happy to see the Timberwolves up and about. I will be very interested to see how the first couple of games pan out against Memphis. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the Grizzlies wiped the floor with the Timberwolves. Maybe not a sweep, but a pretty convincing series win. But the big thing that I took away from this game, as exciting as it was to see Pat Beverly jumping on the scorer's table, is Carl Anthony Towns sucked. He looked shithouse. He fouled out in 24 minutes. And it wasn't like in those 24 minutes, he got some dodgy calls. He was just doing dumb stuff. He was like jumping over the back of blokes for rebounds. He was giving away offensive fouls by just extending his arm. He was taking very questionable shots. He finished with 11 points on three of 11 shooting. And in his 24 minutes, he was a negative 14 for the Timberwolves and they went on to win by five points. So pretty shit from a cat's standpoint. And I will have my eyes solely transfixed on him in the first couple of games against Memphis. We've talked about how 
he took leaps and bounds in the back half of this season and established himself really as an all NBA caliber center. He was probably one of the feel good stories in the back half of the season. He's gone through a lot of other personal shit recently as well. The poor fella, but he's got to play better. I think, Ant Edwards had a bit of a coming out party and looked like the man. And maybe, you know, you get hot and cold D'Angelo Russell. So he's probably not the guy you'd want taking 18 to 25 shots every game. But in saying that, I think it might be wise if the Timberwolves went down the path of handing Edwards more responsibility and kind of just took a little bit off cat. He's been the face of the franchise for a number of years, but the amount of times I've seen him struggle in big games. And I mean, Timberwolves haven't even played in many big games. It does concern me. I think their series against Memphis probably won't be too entertaining. It will be for small niche regions, but I'm very excited to watch the Clippers and the Pelicans go head-to-head for a matchup against Phoenix. I don't know if it really matters which team advances, but the Clippers will be obviously out for redemption after losing the seven spot in the play-in against the T-Wolves. And Nola looks pretty good. CJ McCollum's really thriving as a top franchise player and stepped into not a tumultuous Pels season, but things weren't going crash hot for them when they started. Obviously we saw that uh, Zion Williamson was taking away from a lot of the success on the court. Granted it wasn't a ton of success, but he became the main talking point in new Orleans and CJ's arrival really seems to have helped galvanize that group. They've got a very talented squad. I'd be excited if I was a Pels fan, you got the likes of Herb Jones uh, Valanchunas is a pretty underrated center. If you ask me, Brandon Ingram has the capabilities to average 25 a game if he hasn't done so already. So there's lots to like about the Pels. Similar to my other picks, I did pick the West so far and I'm sticking to my guns and siding with the Clippers. I think Ty Lue will be able to outcoach uh, Willie Green and help the Clippers advance and take that eight seed. But I don't really think it matters. Whichever team gets the win, as exciting as this matchup will be, we'll probably get pants by Phoenix in the first round. All right, the fourth item of business today. I'm talking about Derek Carr and his massive extension with the Raiders. So if you're not a huge NFL head, Derek Carr is the quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. And he's the definition of above average, if you ask me. He's not fantastic and will never contend for an MVP. He's not shit enough to try and move on and bottom out and try and get either a good quarterback in the draft or go balls to the walls and try and sign someone in free agency. So I don't hate this deal, to be honest, with the Raiders. He's signed for three years and $121 million for his extension. Imagine having that much cash. Does have a no-trade clause in his contract as well, which is pretty significant. And it runs through to the end of the 2025 season. Earlier this offseason, we did see that the Raiders went out and poached Devontae Adams from Green Bay. And Derek Carr and Devontae were uh, ex-college teammates. So that should see... I was about to say Oakland, Las Vegas challenge a bit more this season. They've got plenty of offensive weapons. They've got the likes of Josh Jacobs at running back. Love Darren Waller at the tight end position. We saw, oh, what's their other wideouts name? Hunter Hunter Renfro had a bit of a breakout year as well. So they got tools. There's stuff to like there. And I think Derek Carr now has the things around him to succeed, but he's getting paid like a top five quarterback now that he's got this extension. So I don't know if he can live up to that hype and perform like it, but he is a leader of the franchise. He's been there since he was drafted. He is, like I said, he's right on that cusp of being a really relevant QB. And he's been in the league for eight, nine years now. So I expect pretty promising things out of the Las Vegas Raiders this year. And I think if Carr and Devontae Adams can link up regularly, this squad can definitely make some noise in a pretty loaded AFC West. 
I was going to do a little bit of stuff with regards to the availability of some NBA stars for the fifth item of business, but I want to get this on the record before the preseason, the postseason officially gets underway. James Harden is staring down the barrel of a career defining playoff series. Now I know that that might be throwing a lot onto the Philly star with regards to one single postseason. But we know the track record of James Harden. He doesn't exactly step up when the lights are the brightest. In fact, as they've started to kind of hit their straps, the sixes and close out the season, Harden, if anything, has probably got worse. He's only played 20 games for Philly, but he's shooting 40% in those games, which is pretty fucking gross, if you ask me. He didn't shoot that great as well for what it's worth in his uh, half a season with Brooklyn to earlier in the year. So uh, there are alarm bells that should be ringing for James Harden. He's averaging 20 and 10. So it's hard to call him a, a washed player, but if he wants to keep his name in the conversation as an all NBA talent, a guy who was a walking bucket for the last four or five years, he's a 10 time all-star MVP winner. He's got to start or not start this postseason. He has to deliver in the playoffs. I don't know if he can get it done. To be honest, we've seen his shooting numbers like I highlighted, take a massive dip. And I don't really know what the way out is for Philly if he starts to struggle. He's got a player option for next year that I think he took at one point and then he didn't and then he missed the date. So he's probably stuck in Philly. I can't see them ditching the bloke regardless of what his uh, contract situation is heading into the offseason. But this is really career defining for Harden. If he can help steer the Sixers on a massive charge and they can let's say make the East finals, even if they bow out there, you'd probably hold your head high. But if they lose to the Raptors in the first round, which I'm honestly predicting, I reckon Toronto will win that series. Then there's a lot that'll be heaped on James Harden this off season. He hasn't shone when it's mattered most. And now that all the lights are on him, he's got an MVP caliber teammate in Joel Embiid. They can form a really lethal one, two tandem. They did lose a couple of their bench pieces for what it's worth in that trade with Brooklyn to land Harden. They might have to replenish that maybe by getting rid of Tobias Harris if someone wants to bite on him in the offseason. But there's he's running out of excuses, to be honest. He's been, again, a scoring virtuoso for half a dozen or so years. And while he, we have seen that dip this season, Harden is still a fantastic player. Has shat the bed in the postseason when it's mattered most. So be very interested to see what the beard can conjure up in this first round series against Toronto and in this postseason as a whole. All right, top fives in the books. Let's focus on fantasy footy. Last night, we got the first match of round five. Last Thursday night game for a while as well, which I'm actually pretty happy about as a fantasy coach myself. But we did see uh, the Lions get the job done at home pretty comprehensively, even though the margin didn't exactly say so. Lockie Neal was great in his 200th match. We saw Jack Crisp get back to scoring pretty well as well. 36 touches for Crispy, if you don't mind. So there were some interesting names up and about. The struggles of Brody Grundy are really alarming. I mean, I wouldn't go flicking the big man out, but scoring half his points in hitouts and then failing to register a mark and a tackle is a bit of a worry. I don't know what's up with the Grunderton to start this season, but hopefully he can right the ship. We didn't have too much carnage, luckily, when teams were dropped yesterday, Arvo. We did have a couple of relevant names that were affected, but... Nothing too significant. We knew most of the moves that were coming. The poor Eagles continue to get whacked by health and safety protocols with McGovern ruled out and injuries with Nick Natanui ruled out as well. So you got to feel for them, but that'll be an interesting uh, contest to watch unfold tonight against the Swans. 
Again, didn't see too much else. Jack Hayes came in for the suspended Paddy Ryder, which is very handy for those people who might have Braden Pruce. He's obviously out suspended as well. So you could plug Hayes into that role for another week. Paddy Cripps has been officially drawn, uh, withdrawn from Carlton's squad, which will be finalised later the Savo. But I think the Patrick Cripps scenario is a must trade. I was on the fence. I don't have Cripps personally, but I was on the fence a little bit talking to blokes throughout the week about what you should do with Cripper. But there's no guarantees that it's just going to be a one-week trade. If you ask me, I'd try and turn Patrick Cripps into another superstar midfielder. Probably someone who, if you look at your buy structure, will help you the most, whether that's McRae, Andy Brayshaw, Jack Steele, who's probably at his bottom of price. Or if you want to go really unique, get a Ben Keys, Travis Boak, Callum Mills type. I think that's the smartest route to go down. And you can make 100 or so K by axing the likes of Josh Ward or maybe even uh, another underperforming rookie or someone who's maxed out in price. I think, speaking of Josh Ward, I'd get rid of him over... Uh, Connor McDonald, I'll talk about my favourite rookies in a moment, but both of them were named in the squad to play for Hawthorne. But I think Ward, he's probably due for a rest soon. But even if he's not, he's served his purpose as a cash cow. If he's on your field, I don't mind holding on to him, to be honest. His break even's only 40. But if he's sitting in your bench, he's nearly at that 400k threshold. So you can ditch him and chase someone like a Jackson Mead, or if you want a cheaper route, you could even look at uh, Marcus Windhager, who kept his spot in St. Kilda's side. So there are a few options for coaches to try and turn to. And I, like I said, we'll go through my top rookie trade targets in a bit. But I want to kind of address each line like I did last week in my Fry's uh, Cash Cows article on the Dream Team Talk site. I kind of did pave the way for what you should do with a couple of rookies. And I think down back, if you've got the likes of Paddy McCartan, Josh Kipkiss, any of those underperformers not named Nathan O'Driscoll, I think ditching them and getting another replacement is a priority. Maybe you could look at getting a Patrick Cripps out for someone like Bailey Smith, save some bank, and then put that money on top of Josh Gipkis or McCartan and try and get to a middle tier fellow who you like the looks of. Jake Bowie probably doesn't excite me a ton, but there are options out there, even if you want to go down the Justin McInerney route. Uh, yeah, again, there are ways that you can pivot through that and try and field another non-rookie in your back line. O'Driscoll is the main top defender rookie, in my opinion. We all expect Nick Dacos to get defender status next week, and that'll be huge for our back lines. But I've got a sneaky suspicion that O'Driscoll holds. I'm praying that he's not utilized as the sub because we've seen that happen before this season. You'll probably know this by the time you listen to the Sportsby pod what the Sunday teams will look like. But I got hope that O'Driscoll could hold his spot in the side. And someone like myself who has a player missing from his back line uh, at the moment, I don't mind playing O'Driscoll on the field for this week against the Dons. In the midfield, nothing much has changed. We've still got the top two dogs in Dacos and Horn Francis. Horn Francis might have shot himself in the foot and not get forward status at the moment. We've seen his percentage of CBAs increase every week and he led the ruse in clearances last week versus Swans. So I won't be surprised if he misses out on forward status, but he's not a terrible bloke to keep on your field. As I've mentioned, Josh Ward, his job's probably done. You could try and invest in Jackson Mead, but I think now that he's nearly 300k, that ship's probably sailed. Neil Erasmus is another one who is at the high 200k or he might have actually now ticked over to yeah he's 333 now so probably can't invest in him and he much like O'Driscoll is potentially on the block with a healthy Dockers side uh, bringing back some big names 
So I might want to invest in someone who's a little bit cheaper. Obviously, you can't get Reef McInnes now after he played last night, but I was pretty excited about the way he performed. Got a 60-odd, so if you want to potentially get him next week, that's a fine move. Windhager, like I've said, he's only 218K, so he could be a handy addition into your midfield, hopefully on your bench. And then you've got another mid-forward that can help you make some moves. We saw that Finn Callahan, the number three pick from GWS, this most recent draft, he's going to make his debut this week. Put up some pretty impressive BFL numbers as well. Getting a lot of kicks, a couple snags. He's averaging somewhere around the 90 mark uh, in the VFL. I don't expect him to have that same role and to score as healthy for GWS. And he's nearly 300K himself. So you could maybe go Josh Ward to him and bank 100 grand if it's on your bench. Don't hate that, to be honest, but I want to look at Callahan. I, I say it a lot of the time with regards to rookies, unless they're bona fide stars or they're coming back or we know the talent behind them, I don't mind waiting a week on them. Obviously, that doesn't give you the chance to maximize potential uh, cash generation. They could have a massive blinder and leap 60 to 70 grand. Shout out Nick Martin or Nathan O'Driscoll. But I don't mind waiting and being patient because if we see Callahan go out there, score a 70, and then he holds his spot on the side, that's fantastic. You jump on him. But if we trade him in, he scores a 50, keeps his spot, scores a 30, and then is dropped, then you're kind of stuck with a bit of dead weight. So my advice usually with cash cows is to wait a week, but I don't hate the idea of pouncing on Callahan uh, as he makes his debut. Pretty prestigious bloke. He's been compared to Bont in the past. So yeah, lock and load if he's on your bench. When we turn to the rucks, obviously, as I said, Jack Hayes is back. So thank God that'll help a lot of fantasy coaches who have Bruce suspended. Hugh Dixon, he had a pretty solid game last week. Scored 75, did big old Dicko, taking his break even to negative 12. He's nearly 300K. So there are some people who will probably be considering jumping off ship. He's got a very handy buy round for what it's worth. And that forward defender status, uh, sorry, forward ruck status is very rare. Jack Hayes and he, hold it, which does make them valuable. We probably see Tristan Cherry get it in the future as well. So I don't hate the idea of pursuing Dixon this week. I don't expect him to score 70s each week, but now that Nick Nat's gone down and we've seen Dixon kind of fill up the stat sheet in a number of areas, I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps his spot in West Coast side and keeps ticking up in value at least for the next couple of weeks. The big ruck that everyone's talking about though is the potential inclusion of Sam Hayes. He may finally get his AFL chance if Scott Lysett's shoulder is still an issue. Apparently he dislocated it last week, but it got popped back in and he went back on the deck. But Hayes has been putting up solid sandfall numbers for a while now. He had 32 hitouts and a score of 91 last week. And his debut would come at a near ideal time for fantasy coaches. So hopefully the port bloke can get up. If he's playing with Scoot Lysett, not ideal. I don't love having Hayes on your field in that situation. But there are worse ways you can go about it. If he's on your bench and you're fielding someone like Hayes or you've got Tim English or Max Gorn and Brody Grundy, et cetera, I don't hate the idea of jumping on Hayes and cutting the likes of uh, Jack Hayes or potentially Hugh Dixon or someone like that to make a quick buck as well. To the forwards, lastly, obviously Josh Rochelle is the talk of the town after another fantasy ton. He and Nick Martin are still clear one and two. In the forwards, if you ask me, maybe you can argue about the order given Rochelle's 40 that he dropped a couple of weeks ago. But I love both of them and I got no dramas playing them on your field. Similar with Tristan Cherry. He didn't have his greatest game on the weekend, but it was his first time he scored under 60 all year. And he scored 59. So 
He's still outpacing Goldie for ruck contests and hit outs. And again, like I teased earlier, he'll probably get ruck status next week. So I don't hate the idea of playing him on the field. His time's nearly coming. He's got a break even at 26 and he's almost at 500 grand. So that's a huge investment if you started the year with him. A couple of other cheaper forwards. Hugo Ralph Smith, top 60 again for the third straight week since he's been able to shake that sub vest. So I don't hate having Hugo Ralph Smith in your side. Playing him on the field is a bit dicey, but to be honest, I think it's fine to do this week. They're going up against the Crows in Adelaide, but I expect Ralph Smith to keep up his streaks of 60s. And then lastly, I gave Corey Durden a berth as the top five forward. He missed three health and safety protocols the other week, and he did have a 20-odd in round two from memory, maybe round three. Now, round two sounds right because that's about when I got rid of the bloke. But with the exception of that, he's actually looked pretty decent. He has a bit of appetite for the footy, if you don't mind. He does get after it. Needs a couple of goals to get to his 50 or 60, but if he's on the pine, his break-even's only two, so he'll continue to tick up in value for you. I'd much rather invest in him than someone like Malcolm Roses, who is about 40K cheaper, the Gold Coast small forward, but he needed three goals to get to 58 on the weekend. And in the three games that he played last season, we saw the young Gold Coast talent get scores of 22, 44 and 27. So probably not my cup of tea. I uh, don't know if we're going to see any of these other blokes soon, but it's worth mentioning that Elijah Hollands had 89 points from his 21 touches again in the VFL. And there's a lot of buzz around Ollie Dempsey, a small forward from Geelong, who is starting to turn heads. He kicked four goals, only had 58 points in Geelong's recent VFL match, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a sniff in the next few weeks and cracks uh, Geelong's senior rotation. That's all the cash cow info. And here are what my moves are lining up for the weekend. I did toy with the idea of doing a bit of a double downgrade, maybe chopping out Josh Ward for one of those other blokes I mentioned. And I traded in Will Day last week, who is concussed and not playing this round. So I could also ditch him potentially and uh, use that cash elsewhere. But like I said, I'm trusting O'Driscoll on the field for one week. If he does get dropped and shit really hits the fan, I'm playing Sam DeConning because next week I'll put Day back on my field. Hopefully he clears concussion protocol by then. And then I won't have any rookies in the back line. And I, again, was looking at chopping Ward or someone like Connor McDonald, but I think that they'll go okay on Easter Monday against Geelong and worst case scenario, I'll get rid of them next week because I've had enough of Matt Crouch and Matt Rowe. I might've been uh, the captain of the Matt Crouch fan club uh, late in the off or early in the off season. Sorry. Late last fantasy year. I was high on the bloke and one of my first guys picked but I can't keep putting up with his crappy scores and knowing my luck now that I've traded Matt Crouch out, I hope for the 20 odd percent of people who still have him that he goes gangbusters for you this week and scores a hundred. Cause that's probably how fantasy works, but he hasn't been getting around the ground the same way that I'd liked in round two against Collingwood. He had a pretty complete stat line, but with the exception of that, he hasn't really wowed me and his break even is now pretty close to what his average is. So his break even is 90 now that I've checked it. So had enough of him. Matt Rowell, very similar. I viewed him more as a mid-pricer instead of an underpriced premium. So he was always a short-term solution, but I'm using their shitty form and trying to make the most of a bad situation by ditching both of them. I'm going to bring Rochelle into my forward, into my midfield group, sorry, out of my forward line, which means that I'm getting good old Hugh Dixon, throwing him on the pine. Hopefully he can keep going up in value. And again, it gives me three ruck forwards when Cherry gets... Uh, ruck status to potentially toggle between Braden Proust and that emergency spot. So I don't hate that idea. 
And then with my second move, I'm using all that leftover cash to get Jack Steele. I'm having him as my skipper this week. I'm hoping he goes 140 against Gold Coast. Like I said earlier, I think he's at his floor. I don't think he'll get loads cheaper. Break even of 125. So he's just starting to piece it together from a fantasy standpoint. He had 13 tackles against the Dockers and then 10 marks against Hawthorne two weeks later. But I wouldn't be surprised if he starts to level out both of those numbers and get close to 35 and five most weeks. Not every week, but he'll be my skipper this week and I'll roll with Jack Steele and tell you what, my fantasy side looks much more appealing with him sitting in it. That's it. That's all I got. Good luck to the fantasy coaches this weekend. Obviously, huge round five of action. So hopefully by the time Easter Monday finishes, you will have uh, some positive news and some positives to look at. I'm going to drop a piece over the weekend looking at the NBA playoff teams once the field's finalized. Going to do my uh, rankings, power rankings, if you like that idea. Uh, I think Phoenix and Milwaukee, like I said, are going to just roll through their first round opponents. But I don't know. I think we're set for a pretty fucking exciting playoffs, to be honest. It's somewhat wide open. There's a lot of teams who at least have some uh, stake to being a championship caliber squad. So we're in for a very interesting postseason, if you ask me. So good luck for this fantasy round. Have a great Easter. Till next time. Peace. Peace.